0: So what I was talking about was that we've we've gotten into the habit, um, the practice of dividing everything into very simplistic categories. We kind of turn everything into a good, bad, right, wrong, um, us, them, and that those simplistic categories are causing a deepening of divides among us in every arena of public life and my guess would be also in, in family life. And, and that those, those simplistic categories, as they become more and more rigid, we're just gonna continue to see the divides become stronger and stronger.
1: You're listening to Upside Down Podcast. An ecumenical conversation. At the intersection of justice, spirituality, and culture.
2: We've created this space with you in mind.
1: So join us for Unscripted Conversations on God's Upside Down Kingdom.
2: This is Upside Down Podcast. I'm your host today, Gina Cilberto, and I'm joined by Lindsay Wallace. Hi, Lindsay. Hello. And Kayla Craig. Hello. Show notes for today's episode can be found on Instagram at Upside Down Podcast. This show is currently 100% listener funded. And if you'd like to throw a couple of bucks our way to help keep this podcast free and free of ads, please visit patreon.com slash upside on podcast or upsideonpodcast.com and click give in the upper right hand corner. We appreciate every dollar. It really helps us record and have these conversations. Our guest today is sister Dee, Dee Madden a Dominican sister of Velt New York. Sister Didi is a psychotherapist, a farm manager, and the justice promoter for a collaboration of six Dominican congregations in New York and New Jersey, which means that she coordinates efforts in justice, peace, and integrity of creation uh, uh, to enable sisters to speak with a stronger voice on critical local, national, and international social justice issues. And she's also completed, which I learned today, uh, the New York city marathon and a, was it triathlon or a bike race? I did not know that you were an athlete, but this <laughs> but this is great. Um, <laughs> she currently works on Harmony Farm in Goshen, New York. Sister Didi, I'm so grateful that you're with us. Thank you, Gina.
0: I'm really thrilled to be here. Looking forward to our conversation.
2: Yeah. Um, so if you could kind of start us off, uh, we don't want the whole podcast to be a vocation story, but you could give us a sort of brief in- overview about uh, when you entered and why and how you got to right now? I know that's a huge question.
0: Yeah, the vocation story. So I was working on Wall Street, actually, in the early 80s, mid 80s. And in the financial field, I actually put together some limited partnerships, which was a particular financial structure. And I had a chance to visit them and visit the real estate holdings that we had. And actually, it turned out that most of them were in the South Bronx. They were the projects in the South Bronx. And it was a time when I really began to put social justice and uh, our economy and our financial decisions as a country together. And so that combined with Just a long history of being involved in social justice work and uh, involved in prayer and spiritual life and spiritual development really led me to a place where I just wanted to contribute more and live in a much broader way than just for myself. And with that, I met the Dominicans um, and it was a good fit. As uh, women religious in the church, we really are about seeking the truth and really speaking that out loud wherever we find ourselves. And so that was that to me was a a real exciting kind of prospect for my life. And so that's actually how I entered from Wall Street to the convent.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then after you entered, you were a psychotherapist in the Bronx.
0: I did. I started out as a community activist. And, and community organizer. And I think when you start with a real macro practice, what happens is you keep bumping into the micro, kind of the individual or family problems that prevent strong communities from being built or good social policies. And so I moved from a very wide practice around community organizing to a, a real micro, working with individuals and families particularly around violence in relationships. So, yeah, I was a psychotherapist in the Bronx for about 30 years. Everything kind of gets fitted together around justice and uh, environmental or climate work and spirituality, you know, building community.
2: Yeah. So... What we're here to talk about today is kind of like fitting into that puzzle is we know that a whole slew of evils in our society are evil, uh, including but not limited to racism, oppression, and the list goes on, sexism. But what about individual humans who act in these ways? And sister, we thought you were perfect to have on because of your work as a psychotherapist and also your commitment to the universe story and kind of seeing everything as a piece of the whole So today we're talking about the fullness of our humanity, the good, the bad, and how to hold space for both sides while still taking a moral stance. So a few weeks ago, Sister Didi and I had a meal and the idea of holding space and sort of both and came up like immediately within this meal and it kind of sparked something in me because Lindsay, you had shared in our group group chat about this almost at the same exact time. Uh, In the example of Rush Limbaugh, works really well here like yes he's a racist and that's bad and he also has stage four cancer and that's also bad uh so I is wondering if you could kind of talk more about this and how it came up at the same time for you
3: yeah i think i was just seeing people um respond you know mostly on twitter but um on the internet to this man who people have really strong feelings about and who has made really racist, I mean, just blatantly racist remarks for decades. Um, And, and, and and also he has stage four cancer. And so um, I just was noticing people having really strong opinions about that and either really negative, like kind of a who cares attitude or like almost, you know, you get what you deserve, what goes around comes around. And then other people just sort of, um maybe defending his character or defending his comments or just sort of not you know not even addressing them um in interviews and different things that I heard and yeah I guess I just was sort of struck by our inability as a society to hold space for the fullness of our humanity right so like he is racist and he's dying and both of those things suck <laughs> um and so yeah i just i just was kind of struck by that and honestly kind of surprised by it as i was seeing conversations take place um again mostly online but just sort of how we as humans um yeah like just kind of lack that ability to hold space for all of who we are um i think it also points to some dualism right like it's either you're either good or bad you're either evil or you know, not evil or holy or whatever we might say on the other side of that. But the reality is all of us are all of those things all the time. So it just was kind of an interesting cultural social moment to be witnessing. Um yeah, which kind of led to this conversation here.
2: Yeah. And so we just want to point out, and Kayla, feel free to weigh in here as well, that you know, evil is evil. And so ideologies that are inherently evil are evil and we condemn them. But in this conversation, we're going to focus on humans and we are operating under the belief that individual humans are not inherently evil. And I, yeah, I want to spend some time on the distinction. There's two ways to approach the same question. Or Sorry, how do we understand the difference between racism or any ism or system of oppression being bad, but a person who is acting in a racist way or doing an evil thing as not bad as a person.
0: It's interesting for me. I think that that we immediately get caught up in categories, um, and categories are both necessary and I think they end up kind of binding us in in ways where we can't fully explore um, all the complexities that we need to explore when we start talking about things like racism or sexism. Um, rape or murder, uh, and then look at the human being that is committing that or uh, holding that as a value rather than as a horror. And so in that, um, I think we can easily go to talking about the wrongness of things um, and then try and move from there and, and recover people from in that but i think really uh for me what what i try and do is in that shift begin to understand what's the need that people are living um out of you know so racism is is wrong right sexism is wrong there is no moment in in my understanding of life where one could justify racism or sexism or, to me, they're just uh, contrary to everything I believe in. It, it, it's contrary to, I think, God's vision as described in scripture, uh, as described in community. But it exists because there's a need in us, in the human, human experience, to always elevate and, and put down you know it's that dualistic that it, that dualism that is just i think destroying us because we no longer see it yeah we we just no longer see uh wrongness in things it it's become so kind of chosen if i choose it therefore it's good instead of really having kind of a moral compass that says this is wrong at all times And every time we meet it, we know that this is a call for healing, a call for change, a call for growth and development in the person who is espousing this wrongness.
3: I like the question that you asked, like, what's the need people are living out of? And that's another way of phrasing something that I have tried to take on myself when I think about this, which is, just sort of this belief that we're all doing the best that we can. And I've been thinking through this lately because, and this comes sort of from parenting kids who come from hard places and learning how to parent kids who are um, not neurotypical, but just this idea that when kids can do well, they do. (laughs) Like everyone who can do well does, right? Like we all want to do well. And so we're all doing the best we can is sort of how I've interpreted that and phrased it in my head. And it's easy for me to make that judgment or statement for like a kiddo who's struggling to, you know, control their emotions or impulsivity or whatnot. Like, okay, they're, this is the best they can do in this moment. Um, but then when I think about what's being tweeted from the White House, <laughs> I have a hard time with that, right? Like, okay, this is the best that person can do. In this moment. But I was having a conversation with a friend a couple weeks ago, and I just really feel strongly that if I am going to believe that about my child, it also has to be true, like universally, like it has to be true for everybody. It can't just be true for one person, right? And so this idea that it also comes back to me, like when I'm disappointed in myself and the decisions that I've made, I have to also say for myself, okay, well, that was the best I could do in that moment, which I think, you know, like it extends to this idea of the fullness of our humanity. Um, Like I also have to have grace for my own human condition. And for me, I don't know that this is true for everyone. But for me, I've I had to believe that about myself first, and then I could extend that grace, you might call it to my child or to the mom who's cussing her kids out in the public bathroom that I'm also, you know, that I also happen to be in. Like, I think we're all behaving in a way that's consistent with what has happened to us. And we're operating within really the only set of skills that we possess. And Anne Lamont says, like, the you that you were in that moment is, in fact, the only you you could be. Like, that that was who you could be in that moment. And I don't know, that's just been a really helpful framework for me, which I think is Ties into that question that you're asking of what are, what is that need that people are living out of? You know, what do we need right now? What skills are we lacking (laughs) to make better decisions and to be kinder, gentler humans?
0: Yeah. I think the part of it though, is that in that moment, I am the best I can be or doing the best I can in this moment. And I, 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 not only believe that, I think it's a source of of both my capacity for compassion and empathy, the source for all of our compassion and empathy. Where I think the place of challenge is is that when you're not in that moment, what are you choosing to do then to build your capacity for love, to build your capacity for ki- for forgiveness, to build your capacity to learn a new way of being. Yeah. So I think we're always the best we can be in the moment, but when we're not in that moment, how responsible are we being to the common good, to the community at large in developing our capacities, however they're called for? Hmm.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I think we had an episode earlier this season and it was called it's complicated. And so we talked about just sort of what it's like to be a person in the world and um, it more of an external, like the world is super complicated. Right. So we used the example of like trying to buy a tomato. That's like not also contributing to bad conditions for farm workers or um, global warming or whatever, like just how complicated it is to buy a tomato. Right. That's, not inherently bad. Um, but I feel like this conversation is really taking it internally and looking at, um, not only the ways that were complicated internally, but like what you're speaking to, I think, which is what is the work that we need to do in ourselves to be able to fully embrace who we are, um, and as a precursor for being able to like you're saying love the world around us and make decisions for for the common good.
2: Yeah, sister Didi, if you could if you could pick up with what you just said about why this conversation is important and yeah, the way that we're deepening our divides in every arena pretty much.
0: So what I was talking about was that we've we've gotten into the habit um, the practice of dividing everything into very simplistic categories. We kind of turn everything into a good, bad, right, wrong, um, us, them, and that those simplistic categories are causing a deepening of divides among us in every arena of public life, and my guess would be also in, in family life, and, and that those those simplistic categories, as they become more and more rigid, we're just gonna to continue to see the divides become stronger and stronger. Um, and we're and really, uh, we're on a path of increasing violence. Um, I think we see that realistically and I think it's just, yeah, it's affecting our capacity to deal with the complexities of life. And if we can't deal with the complexities of life, we lose our capacity to be in relationship with one another.
1: I love what you said about having a capacity to be in relationship with each other. And I'm wondering if there are tangible ways or even just different ways of thinking that you have incorporated into your own life or that the Dominican sisters kind of do together that we could learn from and the listeners who are listening to this podcast could kind of glean some wisdom for for ways to not be so dualistic and black and white in our thinking, but really center on um, compassion and love, even if we don't understand and we disagree, or even if we see things very differently or even as Gina said at the beginning of this episode, there are things that are clearly evil that are happening, how do we not just say that thing was evil? How do we say that instead of saying you are a hundred percent evil? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Basically we need your help. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny, um it, the Dominicans um as a religious organization was was started in response to dualistic spiritualities that were really taking hold in communities in in the uh, 1200s Um, that sense of spirit's good body's bad therefore we have to pray and then we have to beat the body and starve the body and really dominic the founder of the order was like whoa that's not what life's about at all Uh, god's gift is that your spirit is experienced in and through the body you know so Dominicans have this special love of ending dualisms, so that that it's a place where I think we've put in a lot of effort. Let me begin by saying, the the world is built on polar on polarities, right? We know what up is because there's a down. We know what right is because the, when there's a left, and so it, I'm not suggesting that. That we ever uh, that we need to get rid of polarities. We what we need to do is we need to embrace polarities as a greater and greater expression or uh, a greater and greater experience of the diversity that that exists in our world as gift from God. Um. So you know, as I say that 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 you know the multitude of experience in this world, we need to learn how to celebrate. Um, we need to learn how to feel comfortable jumping in when we don't know what it's about um, and building a confidence that that there's safety there and that there is welcome there and that um, there's a capacity to be innocent and unknowing and that's okay because it's through the relationship that you're actually going to learn to know and learn to be in in relationship with what's different and so i think what people need to do is i think what we all need to do is we need to know that it's okay to be afraid and it's okay to not know and that that's never a reason not to move into an experience and i think that, we've lost that capacity um, and great. So I, I think communities really need to live on the growing edge of their comfort. And if we can do that um, both individually and as as communities, then there's gonna be a kind of an energy for life and, and a joy as we experience the diversity. Yeah, so I think communities have to be more about invitation. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. I think on another level, I think we we need to begin to see people from the perspective of need, and I I talked about that earlier. But you know, every, there is no human being that doesn't have a need. You know, a need for respect, a need for justice, a need for um, being seen and being heard, and. How do we how do we teach one another to be sensitive to those needs and responsive to those needs instead of seeing them as a threat, which is what I think we've moved into.
1: So Sister Didi, I have a question. When you say that the Dominicans kind of the religious order, I guess, is that the right wording to use? It is. Okay. That came out kind of against Dualism. I was just wondering, can you speak a little bit more to that? I am Protestant and I'm not quite sure what exactly that means.
0: So uh, Dominic was traveling and in in his travels, what he discovered were the people in an effort to embrace a life of faith um, were doing some pretty extreme things to kill their body. So that their spirit could be free to experience God, and so um, he he came upon communities where starvation was um, was re- uh, regularly practiced, um, not just fasting but literally starving the body, um, where beating the body was was a regular practice because the idea was that you had to kill the body in order to allow the spirit to be free to experience God and so um he Dominic experienced that as as a great violation of of the kind of gospel values of what he believed God um, both calls us to and gifts us with and so he, w- he was a, a preacher who who refused to speak to only one side of the spiritual life and so his message was always that we experience God through the body we experience God through creation that this this coming into into life did not pose a question of Goodness and badness of the body, but instead gave us an opportunity to experience God's creative action through the body in spirit. And so it, it was really an effort to move people out of judgment of life as good and bad. Because we don't practice, we can't practice that in one area of our life. It, it goes into all areas of our life. And so dualism is seen as, by Dominicans, is seen as a falling away from the beauty and truthfulness of the incarnation.
2: Hmm. And how would you say that this could be translated to 2020, where we're talking about societies and families that are so divided and where, I know I... Do not look forward to talking to my relatives about not only just politics, but like sometimes the values, um, even though, in fact, we're all Catholic and we're literally related by blood. Um, I don't know. How does this translate to now?
0: Well, we can't split first. We can't split the person into into two. We can't say, well, what they think isn't isn't right or is bad, but they are wonderful. That kind of splitting um, pulls creates a distance between us and them. so so how that translates in today is that I need to meet the person in my family or in, in my community um, or wherever I'm find, I'm finding myself. I need to meet them and listen to what they're saying, and in that hear their needs. Hear their fears, hear their sinfulness, hear their desires, hear and relate to all of that. So it, it calls us to enter into relationship with people fully and not just not just by, you know, I agree or disagree with their politics, I'm related or I'm not related to this person. It's kind of like it's an invitation to meet people and not just categorize them, but mm. to really deeply listen and see with the eyes of faith who this person is. Now, the problem is most of us don't possess the skills to do that. Um, you know, and that's, that's where it gets really kind of difficult and, and challenging and sometimes um, disheartening because we don't have the skills to actually do that.
3: How do, you, how do we get those skills, do you think? Or what? <laughs> what how, if you had to name those skills, what would they be? And how do we you know, move
0: towards them, at least? Um, I think, for me, when I enter into those conversations, or I go into those places, I have to acknowledge that, that I, I have fears, first of all, and that I have um, a real desire to be right. And that I don't like to be powerless. And so it's, it's it's almost we have to kind of take stock of of where my strengths and where my skills, what my strengths are, and where my kind of pitfalls that I'm gonna I'm gonna meet. I have to see that in myself, and I have to see that in the other person. So that's a real skill. I think we we need to take time for conversations. We don't do that anymore. And their sustained conversations. Mm-hmm. I think we need to we need to develop our capacity for knowing that uh, people get hurt, people um, are going to be disappointed, there there are going to be tragedies there, and that we can't assure or ensure that that's not going to happen with people. You know, life. like You, you talk about Rush Limbaugh. You know, it's. His stance, his political stance, his his conversations are mean-spirited and and ugly. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he has cancer is tragic. Mm-hmm. And those two things coexist. And I can both speak strongly against his stances, and I can have compassion for his for his illness so so that that i i think we all need to have the capacity to to be in that both end space i both absolutely hate your stance politically and what you believe in and i can also find a, a place of compassion within myself for your fear for mm-hmm. your hatred you know, and what that does to you, even though you may not even be aware of it.
2: Yeah. Ezra Ezra Klein talks about this um, in an interview he did with Barack Obama. And I just, yeah, I think his wording is really powerful. And I think it touches on exactly what we're saying here. So this is Klein paraphrasing Obama. He says, we all know that we're one way in politics, but then when we're on the soccer or little league field together or we're at the PTA meeting or we're talking to our neighbors or there's been a storm, we're very different than that. And so maybe when you talk to a person about politics, you can't believe what they're saying, but then you look beyond that and they're a good person and our country and our world is full of good people. Um, and then Klein talks about the 2000, Obama's 2004 DNC speech. We're not red and blue. And the difficult thing for me is that question of, well, what is the true version of ourself? And is there even a true version of ourself? And he says, Obama's optimism came from believing that these other versions of ourselves, the PTA version, the helpful version, that was the more core truth. Yeah. Lindsay and Kayla and Sister Didi, I'm wondering what you make of that in light of being compassionate and, I don't know, trying to reach people where they're at and trying to think about others doing their best while also
1: taking a moral stance and not falling into relativism. That's the million dollar question, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I will, I will be completely honest that I, I know it's um, a common phrase right now. Like everybody's just doing the best they can and there's obviously truth to that. I also feel like I know myself I know I've done things when I could have done things better. Like I have handled a situation when I had all the tools in my pocket to handle it a different way. And I didn't. So I'm not sure people are always doing the best they can. And I, and I just think it's like we've talked about on other episodes, you know, it's complicated and, and, and there's a lot to that, but, um, we're complicated beings we're we're fully human, we're spiritual we We have all of these aspects to us, and so that's why I think we thought it was important to to explore this idea you know and and I know people in all different parts of my life, and I know that we don't always see eye to eye on things. I think it's different having different perspectives and not always viewing things the same way is different than somebody actively stepping away from love and toward hate. Right. I, th- I think those right. can be two different right. things.
0: You know, I, I worked for many years doing uh, violence prevention, anger management classes. And I can remember sitting in a class and there were probably 25, 30 people in the class And I can remember turning to the social worker sitting next to me, and I said to him, you know, it just struck me that um, we're the only two people in this room who have not taken a human life. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And and I looked around the room, and how I knew each of these uh, men and women, um, they were babies emotionally. They were abused, um, violated human beings who had nothing growing up. You know, they all grew up in poverty. They pretty much all grew up in violence homes. Um, abuse was, was rampant. Drugs were rampant. All those things. And, I, you know, how could we... You know as I sat there and and thought about that, I thought, "How can I experience these these men and women as just such broken broken people when I know that there were lots of people outside the doors who thought they were animals, and the truth is that they were they were deeply violent human beings. And they were deeply broken human beings. And so how do we, it's not even a question of how do we deal with the complexity. For me, it becomes a question of how do I honor the life that they have and know that the, just the fact that they have a life is going to really damage and harm other people. How do I walk around with those conflicting or those two truths kind of pulling at each other? And I think that's that to me is kind of the gospel invitation each day.
1: I love that. And somebody that we've had the privilege of having on this podcast is Father Mm. Greg Boyle. And so much of what you're saying just reminds me of what he has said and his reflections of working at Homeboy Industries and just, you know, this idea that. We talked about on that episode how when children are playing, we they like to be like the good guy and the bad guy and the bad guys do this and the good guys do this. And something I've really tried to incorporate as as a parent is when I hear my kids saying that, I say, no, no, no that person isn't a bad guy. They did a thing that wasn't good, but that doesn't mean they're bad. Like we all have the capacity do things that we would label bad, you know, but that doesn't mean that we at our core are bad. Like we're all made in the image of God. And so I think that's such a good, a good reminder as we kind of weigh these tensions.
2: Yeah. I also, I also want to bring into this space a question that Lindsay raised, which I really like um, and how this pertains to Jesus as the personified God. And how do we see Jesus embracing the fullness of his humanity. Um, Yeah. Lindsay, can you talk more? Can you talk more about that? Well, I don't know that I have an answer. I just enjoy the question. Well, maybe about the question. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's what Um, I mean. I didn't mean like, and now answer. (laughs)
3: Yeah. I I don't know. I think um, I got to visit um, Jerusalem and Israel, Palestine um, like a year and a half ago. And it just really solidified in me, sort of this excitement about Jesus's humanity. Um, And I think we talk a lot, at least in the churches that I have been a part of about the divinity of Jesus, which is awesome. Um, But I think I'm also really interested in his humanity Um, and something that Scott Erickson said when he um, came and did a live show in the town that I'm in now was that he's a believer Yes, because of the resurrection, yes, because of all of that, but he believes in Jesus because Jesus wept at his friend's funeral and I think I can I can echo that sentiment and so I just for me, the fullness of Jesus's humanity is um, really um, attractive in the sense that I feel known in that um, and there's like a closeness and an intimacy that I feel with Jesus because he was fully human and he he knows what it's like um yeah so i just i think about that um in this sort of conversation and in the sense that we have jesus to look to as a model in that way and so i would just i would love to hear what you guys
0: think about that or if you have thought about that in that way as i think back to when i was first introduced to scripture as an adult not as a child but as an adult and taught to pray with scripture you know i i was invited to move into the scripture story um, in each of in each of the roles right of each of the persons there including jesus you know i think we all start well i'll, I'll be the you know the bent over woman but i won't be jesus in that story i'll experience that or i'll experience and when i Finally took up the invitation to pray in experiencing the humanity of Jesus, of actually putting myself in that place. I think that was it was a time when I first experienced the oneness with not just Jesus but with each person it It was this moment of of just understanding what it was to be in the skin of Jesus. Which then also allowed me to be in other people's skins, mm. like to to just kind of experience that a little bit. And so yeah, I think if we can't if we can't walk with the humanity of Jesus, um, we're gonna have a hard time walking with our sisters and brothers.
1: Mm. I feel like that's such a good thing to meditate on as yeah. we close this conversation. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, sister.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'll be up for another couple hours thinking and praying. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, for all of those who are listening, you can learn more about us at UpsideDownPodcast.com, and we spend a lot of time on the gram, so you can find us on Instagram at upside down podcast. We put our show notes there. You are always welcome to join the Upside Down Together listener group on Facebook. We can process through this episode, bring your questions, bring the resources, the books you're reading, the articles that caught your attention. That's a great place to do it, and we just kind of filter these conversations with the lens of Upside Down Kingdom. So thank you so much for listening, Sister Didi. Thank you so much for joining us and imparting your wisdom. And we will see you all next time on Upside Down Podcast.
0: Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Upside Down Podcast.
1: New episodes are released on the second and fourth Tuesday of each month. The Upside Down podcast is created by Lindsay Wallace, Kayla Craig, Elisa Molina, and Gina Siliberto. Our show notes are written by Lana Smith. Johnny Craig and Tess Malone edit the episodes, and our theme music is Dreamers Act by DJ Sean P.
0: And of course, our monthly patrons make everything possible.